Thank you so much. Well, hello. It is so good to be with you today. And a special welcome to our family in Kingsgate, Cambridge, Kingsgate, Leicester, and all of you who are watching online as well, especially our online campus family. We love you. Let's give them all a big welcome. So good to have you with us today. And of course, to all of our young people in all our locations as well. So glad to be able to share with you today. And today I am continuing this Women in the Bible series with our final Old Testament girl. Can we get an ah? It was a, a mediocre attempt, but I'll take it. Today I'm speaking to you about Rahab. And Rahab is a woman whose life evidences for us all that faith changes everything. Now, I don't know about you, I've never met a Rahab, surprise. Uh, I know some Debras, I know some Miriams. We even managed to find someone called Miriam to talk about Miriam. This is a pretty great Miriam as well. Uh, spoiler alert for you. Uh, next week, we've got Mary and Anna. We've also spoken about Ruth, and I know a fair few of all of those people, but never a Rahab. And I would hazard a guess that you also have never met a Rahab. I have that on some good authority, statistical authority, in fact, uh, because now, obviously, Gallia is far from the most common name, but there have actually been seven times as many girls named Gallia than Rahab in the last 140 years worldwide. That's some statistic, isn't it? So you're seven times more likely to have met a Gallia. I think that's how it works anyway. So what is it? about Rahab. Now, if some of you know the story of Rahab in the Bible, you're kind of thinking, well, yeah, Galia, that's obvious, we know why. Uh, but for some of us, maybe we're not so sure we've forgotten or maybe haven't heard this story before, but I want to say to you, there is a pretty strong power of association with the name Rahab. And uh, in order for us to unpack this a bit, I want us to look at who was Rahab in the Bible. And then we're going to unpack two key hallmarks of her faith, which changed everything. So firstly, who was Rahab? Well, we meet Rahab at the start of the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. And uh, for some context here, what's happening is Joshua has just been installed as leader over the Israelites. They're God's chosen holy people, and they've been wandering around in wilderness for 40 years on a, day, on a journey that should have taken 12 days, and it's all got a bit messy and complicated, all because of them, not God. And then Joshua gets installed as leader. He's the leader for the hour, and he is a man with a plan because God has given the people of Israel a promise, a promise of a land for them to settle down in, make their home, and to thrive and flourish in, a place of safety and plenty and provision, a promised land. It's all gone wrong so far, but Joshua, man with a plan, and that's where we meet Rahab at the start of Joshua chapter two in our Bibles. It says, Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Now, you know it's a good plan here already because Joshua sent his spies secretly, and that is actually the best way to send spies, apparently. <laughs> Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went, and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. And that introduction is exactly why you are seven times more likely to have met a Gallia than a Rahab. But Rahab was so much more than the first impression we just got from her. And we see this as her story unfolds through scripture. In short, what happens is Rahab helps these spies who Joshua has secretly sent on their mission. She makes a deal with them to save her and her family when the Israelites come and take the city of Jericho as part of the promise they're receiving from God. Later on, Joshua and the spies hold up their end of the deal and Rahab and her whole family are saved. And they're given a place to live within the promised land. 
But Rahab's story doesn't even stop there in the pages of our Old Testament. Much later on in our Bibles, at the start of the Gospels, at the beginning of the New Testament, the books that describe the life and the ministry of Jesus, whose name would appear in the list of the family ancestors at the very start of the Gospels, the people whose line led to Jesus? Rahab's. And then she gets two more mentions, even later on in the New Testament, both applauding her for her faith. One of those is in Hebrews 11, which is often referred to as like the Bible's hall of faith. Think of the Hollywood walk of fame, but less grubby and full of biblical faith heroes. And it says of her that by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. I love how the New Testament writers are keen to remind us that Rahab was a prostitute, as if we could forget. Uh, But it's like a reminder that Rahab's not the kind of person you would expect to find in the lineage of Jesus or being celebrated for her faith in the pages of our Bibles. She's not the kind of person you would expect in this kind of story or with a headline of faith over her life. But Rahab isn't excluded because she's a prostitute, she's included because of her faith. And that's the thing about faith, isn't it? Not just a generic belief system and a set of doctrinal truths, important though that is, but specific faith in the faithfulness of God, confident trust in God that is put into practice, which is what we see through Rahab's story. This kind of faith changes everything. Faith changed everything for Rahab, for her family, uh, for generations to come, and even with eternal impact. And I want to encourage you today that the same can be true for us. This actually really hit home again recently for me when I had the honour of joining the Celebration of Life service for my friend's mum. And she recently, sadly, passed away. And confident though we are of her eternity with Jesus and the family are part of Kingsgate here in Peterborough, but in the context of their enormous loss and completely unfathomable grief, there was a declaration, a defiant faith that I saw evidenced in her celebration of life service. My friend's dad stood up to give a tribute during the service, honouring his wife of almost three decades. And on the very worst of days, and in the most painful of circumstances, he said with complete conviction and confidence, God is good. If that's not faith that changes everything, Faith that redeems the worst of days and the worst of situations into a declaration, a celebration of the goodness and the faithfulness of God, then I don't know what is, frankly. And there's a power in it. There's power in this kind of faith, even to transform a funeral service into a celebration of hope and life and life eternal. So let me ask you this. What specific things are you in faith for right now? I hope that most of us aren't in a situation like the one we were celebrating a few weeks ago, life and death. But you might be, or you might know someone who is, you might be praying for someone who is. Or maybe there are situations personally for you or in your family or work or business or finances, maybe with your kids or among your friends. And there are the kind of situations where really the only thing that could actually change everything is God and your faith in him. Sometimes our actual circumstances change like they did for Rahab, or at the very least, our perspective can change entirely in the light of where and who we put our faith in. 
I saw the power of that at the celebration of life service. And there are two hallmarks of the kind of faith that changes everything that we see in Rahab's life and hallmarks I want to encourage us to cultivate in our lives too. And the first is that faith that speaks changes everything. Now, just like my friend's dad spoke out the goodness of God, the power of faith that speaks is so clear for us in Rahab's story and in her life. Her faith is made evident, firstly, by what she says. Now, when she talks to the spies, she says to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. I wonder if you heard that. Rahab said, I know that the Lord has given you this land. She's expressing a present tense knowing of a past tense reality. But we can't miss this because the actual present tense reality at the point of this conversation is that the Israelites have not taken the land yet. Jericho, where they're having the conversation, does not yet belong to the Israelites. They have not got it yet. In the chapter earlier, when the Lord was speaking to Joshua about the land that these spies are now on this reconnaissance mission to scope out, the Lord said, I will give you every place where you set your foot. Future tense. But what's happening is Rahab is seeing it before she sees it. She's talking about a future reality as though it's present, as though it's already a given, because that's what faith does. It takes the promise of God and the assurance of his word, and it sees it as good as realized here and now. Rahab didn't have a news feed or a For You page where she was seeing these regular updates from the front line of what was going on among the Lord's people or what the Lord was doing. All she had were some verbal reports circulating around about what was happening among the people of God and what God was doing among his people. But we see that the stories that she's overheard are enough. They're they're enough to convince Rahab of who the Lord is and enough to convince her that he is good, that he's coming through on a word. And we hear this in her confession of faith to the spies because she says, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now this is a standout declaration for Rahab to be making because in the midst of war, economic hardship, a nation that is bowing to idols, mass uncertainty, national fear. I'm not talking about our day and age, but some of it might sound familiar, mightn't it? Well, in the midst of all of that, Rahab makes a declaration. And it's one that we can make in faith and with confidence today too. She says, there is one true God. He is sovereign over all. You can agree with this wherever you're watching. If you agree with it, there is one true God. He is sovereign over all and he is present on the earth. And what Rahab speaks in faith has redemptive power far beyond her and the same can be true for you and for me. So for all of us today, how exactly can we be a people whose confident conviction is in the goodness of God? And that frames everything we say because sometimes that might be all we have to go on. Have you ever had those situations where all you've got to go on is the goodness of God? You might be in the midst of one right now. Well, there's power in our words. And out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths speak. So let me challenge you. What are the inputs that are determining our outputs? What situations are at the front of our minds and on the tips of our tongues where how we're saying about them, what is that being formed by? Is it ultimately by faith, by the confident belief in God who is good and who does good? Now, I know this can be really hard and I know it can be challenging um, because I've had to practice in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I'm in the process of moving house with a friend from church at the moment. And let me tell you, 
with the way that the rental housing market is right now, there have been some moments where it could have really felt like this was a hopeless, even almost impossible situation and some serious faith was going to be required. In fact, the only possible way uh, to have peace and to be trusting in God was to keep on declaring his goodness and his faithfulness despite and regardless of the present circumstances that we were facing in our house hunt. So I had to take some promises from the Bible, promises that I feel like God's given me. Um, those promises, have, I've tried to make them form the basis of the way that I've spoken about the situation. I've taken promises like Psalm 112 verse seven, which says they will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord, declaring them daily before I get on right move, declaring I will have no fear of bad news. My heart is steadfast. I'm trusting in the Lord today. And I haven't always got it right. I have not always got it right, but I've at least tried to declare the goodness of God, his faithfulness and the promise of his word more than I've allowed the fear of bad news, the fear of a hopeless situation to come into my mind or to escape from my lips. And guess what happened just a few days ago? When the housing market was not any better than it had been last week or the week before or the week before that, when the odds weren't in our favour, when time wasn't on our side, when we couldn't control the outcome and it didn't look like things were going our way, we saw a house, the first one we had peace about, we put an application in, our first application, and it got accepted, and we got a house, which is amazing. But really what I'm celebrating even more than the fact we've got a house is the fact that God is faithful and I'm more convinced of it now than I was even two weeks ago. And there was a challenge in the midst of it to experience his goodness and his faithfulness. But we can take him at his word. So can I challenge you today? Maybe you've got situations that are looking or feeling pretty hopeless personally, or when we look at all that's going on around us, we can be wanting for some good news or some faith headlines, can't we? But can I encourage us? We can go back to the truth of the word of God. We can go back to the promises that he's already spoken to us. And if you've not yet got a promise from God, ask him for one. Open your Bible, keep reading until he gives you one. And then let's allow what he's spoken to us by his word and by his spirit to come from our lips more often than we declare what the present reality is, more often than we get overwhelmed by the fear of the situation that we might be facing. Let's allow our words to speak out faith because faith that speaks changes everything in your personal prayer times in your conversations with what you post and repost and comment on online is it going to be shaped by faith that speaks or by a fear of bad news let's be a people whose faith speaks for Rahab and for us it's not about empty words or about hype it's definitely not about manifestation which is just form but no power based on vague notions of what might happen or the way the universe might work. These promises that we're speaking, this faith that speaks is based on the promises of God which are sure and certain because he is sure and certain. He is not a man that he should lie. He is good and faithful and true to his word. So we speak our faith on the basis of who he is, what he's already said. So faith that speaks changes everything. And secondly, when we look at Rahab's life, ultimately what we see is that faith that acts changes everything. Now, another of the New Testament mentions of Rahab's faith is in James chapter two. And this is a chapter where James is really trying to hammer home that the essence of faith is evidenced in our actions. James 2 verse 25 says, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did? 
Now, we don't do things to earn righteousness, but faith doesn't just get Rahab making an impressive confession to the spies. Faith also provokes Rahab to act, to help the spies, and then to put a scarlet cord in her window. It says in Joshua 2, verse 21, that Rahab sent the spies away and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. That was Rahab's side of the deal that she'd made with the spies. In order for her and her whole family to be saved, she needed to put this scarlet cord in the window, and then when they came back to the land, they'd be looking for it, and that would be a sign to them that they were to be saved. They had special protection, a deal had been made, and it was done, and they got safe passage and salvation out into the land. So Rahab did it. She put the scarlet cord in her window. And then for a while, we're actually not really sure what happened, at least on Rahab's side. We hear a lot about what happened for the Israelites, but we don't know what's going on with Rahab and her family. And we don't really know how long for, but presumably Rahab waited. What we do know, though, is that when the time came for the Israelites to come and take Jericho to receive the promise of the promised land that God had assured them of, Rahab and her family are still found in their house and the scarlet cord is still in their window, guaranteeing the salvation in the land for her and all who are in her household. This is important because in the original Hebrew, the word that's used for cord multiple times throughout Joshua is actually this Hebrew word called tikvah. You can have a go saying it if you want. Tikvah, tikvah, very good, very good. And it's the same word uh, that gets used elsewhere in the Old Testament time and time again, meaning hope. Rahab waited with scarlet hope in her window, and then her and her whole family were saved. As one of my favorite writers, Anne Voskamp, puts it, she says, Rahab is delivered by that singular scarlet cord and tied into the Jewish family. And God makes the former woman of the night into a woman of the court, a princess and a wife of a Jewish prince, Great faith is the greatest equalizer, the greatest eraser, and the greatest definer. Now, I want to remind us today, you and I have been given a scarlet hope, which ties us into God's family. The blood of Jesus poured out for us as a sacrifice on the cross. The finished work of the cross is our scarlet hope. Isn't that good news for us today? The price has been paid. The deal has been done. And all that would disqualify or deny us is dealt with, all blemishes are erased, anything that would count us out, we're now counted in because of the scarlet hope, the finished work of the cross. Our identity, just like Rahab's, is completely redefined when we identify with the cross. If you've never received this, then before we take communion later on in all our locations and online, there'll be an opportunity for you to receive this hope in Jesus, to put your full faith in him, maybe for the first time, or as a way of coming back to him, finding your place again in God's family. Now, faith changes everything when we act on the basis of the finished work of the cross. And I know this is true. I'm totally convinced of it for many reasons. Uh, but maybe the core of all the reasons, a reason above all reasons for me, is because I've got a friend who acted on the basis of her faith in the faithfulness of God, and it changed everything for me personally. Now, back when our Kingsgate building here in Peterborough was first being built back in the mid-2000s, a number of prayer gatherings took place on the land and around the site and around the building structure. And one of the many prayer meetings that took place at that time was for Kingsgate Youth. 
During that youth night, which my friend was part of at the time, uh, the young people were praying around the building and they took pens and there were beams and foundations that were all still exposed at the time, no carpet or paint or anything like that, don't worry. Um, and they took pens and they were writing around the foundations the names of people who they were believing and praying would come to know Jesus in and through the building. And my friend had faith, even though I was an atheist at the time, that one day my name would be written in God's book of life. She believed that God's promise of salvation was enough and was true for my life as well as it had been for hers. And so she wrote my name on beams and foundations as she was praying for me. Beams and foundations that are actually situated just behind the platform where I'm speaking to you from now. And after that night, it's amazing. What's even more amazing though, is that after that night, she carried on acting in faith. She carried on praying. She carried on believing that there was a place for me in God's family. And she carried on believing that I was not too far gone, even as my life got messier and messier, more broken. And it seemed like I was getting further and further from choosing to put my faith into Jesus. She carried on being a friend to me inviting me, welcoming me, being kind to me when I was much the opposite to her and her friends at times, to be honest. I was not nice. But those acts of faith, many of them over many years, meant that before that decade was out, I had come to a saving, freeing, healing faith in Jesus of my own, that her faith was realized, that the promise God had spoken to her about me was realized. And as she acted defiantly in faith time and time again, prepared a way for Jesus to have his way in my life, for me to choose that he was the only way that I was gonna live from that day forwards. Isn't that amazing? Faith that changes everything is a faith that acts. My friend's faith acted and it changed everything. So today, maybe you're weary or despondent, you've been disappointed in faith, maybe just got kind of disengaged over time. Maybe you've spoken and you've acted on the basis of your faith and it doesn't look like everything's changed. In fact, it might look for you like it did for my friend for a while, that everything was going in the opposite direction, that things were getting worse and worse over time. I wanna encourage you today, go again. Maybe you're one of our amazing young people here today and you want nothing more than for your life to make a difference and to count. Keep on resting your life on the basis of the finished work of the cross. Keep putting your scarlet hope on display in the window of your life and you will. Keep acting on the basis of your faith even when it feels really hard and it gets harder and harder day by day in schools and colleges and universities. Can I say, go again. For all of us, wherever we may be at, Let's go again with our scarlet hope on display. The finished work of the cross, the saving, freeing, healing power of the ultimate price that Jesus paid is enough for all humanity. And it's evident for all to see when we act on the basis of our faith. Can I tell you, there is a world around us that is desperately longing to see a better story lived out than the one we're being sold around us. The better story is faith in the faithfulness of God. And we as the people of God get to live it out. We get to put his faithfulness on display through our lives. What a privilege and what an honor and what a joy. As we go again, resolute to live out our faith like Rahab in our speech and in our actions, on the basis of the finished work of the cross, the price that Jesus has paid, what he has already won. Let's imagine for a moment, shall we, what that could look like, what the impact of that could be. Because for Rahab, it saw her whole family saved. It saw generations after her totally transformed, future secured. It saw a totally different story, even with eternal impact, a place for her 
Rahab the prostitute in the lineage of Jesus. That's some remarkable transformation, isn't it? So for us, on this side of the finished work of the cross, where all of our faith is rooted and found, how much more transformational could it be? Think for a moment in your own life, in your family maybe, for generations yet to come, maybe in your biological family or even in our church family, people who are younger than you, people coming behind you in faith who are looking to your life and who your life, your faith in action, your faith speaking can impact and shape and form even from this day on. Think about in our communities, think about how our faith speaking and acting could change everything. It could imagine, if we could imagine for a moment, people and places transformed by a redemptive, restorative, renewed faith in the power and the presence of Jesus. Don't we long for that? Isn't that what we long for? Don't we long that the mark of our lives would be the, our faith in the finished and the victorious work of Jesus, not just working in us, though that is amazing, but having an impact far beyond us now and for generations and ultimately for eternity as well? Well, faith in Jesus is everything and it changes everything. And if there was a part in God's story for Rahab the prostitute, then I wanna say there is a part in God's story for us too. Amen. Wherever we are, we're gonna take a few moments now to respond together. So for all of us in the room, if you're comfortable and able, why don't you join me and stand with me? We're gonna take communion together in a moment, focus our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, on the finished work of Jesus, his body broken, and his blood poured out for us. But first, as I promised earlier, I do wanna give an opportunity to you. If you've perhaps never put your full faith, the full weight of your life onto the faithfulness of God, received the price that Jesus paid for you, I wanna say to you today, you are not too far gone. Whatever guilt you may have about the life you've lived or whatever shame there may be around your story, the finished work of the cross is enough. If it was enough for Rahab, it's enough for us. God has paid the price when he sent Jesus, his son, to die on the cross. It was a sacrifice for us. And he was raised to life victoriously that we may have new life in him. And so just as we take a moment, you may wanna close your eyes, bow your head. I'm gonna say a simple prayer. You may wanna agree with this in your heart. What you agree with in your heart what you confess out of your mouth as we agree together. That confession of faith. You can find a place in God's family today. He wants to welcome you in. He loves you. He's got a plan for your life. A better plan than the one you could muster up or the one you're struggling to build right now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that when we're a long way off, you sent your son. You didn't count any one of us out. In you, we can have new life. And so today, for the first time, I choose to put my trust in you. If that's you, just agree with that. Say, I trust you, Jesus. I put my faith in you today. Do you forgive us, Jesus, for all the ways we've done our own thing and gone our own way? We say that you are the way. We put the full weight of our lives on who you are, on the finished work of your cross today. 
we receive forgiveness, we receive salvation, we receive fresh new life in you, Jesus. Come Holy Spirit, fill us. Help us to live a life of faith in the faithfulness of God from this day forward. Turn away from our old lives and we choose life in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen, amen. You might just wanna get your communion ready, take your bread. Communion is a symbol for us of the price that Jesus paid on the cross, of his body broken. As we hold this bread, we recognize that Jesus' brokenness on the cross is an exchange that we might know full wholeness in every area of our lives. And so we take this today as a defiant act of faith, even now before we receive this. There are situations, people, maybe areas of brokenness, even in your body, in your mind, in your spirit, where you just feel crushed, broken. You've had diagnoses that faith is the only thing that can change everything. All of that brokenness that we experience was paid for on the cross as Jesus' body was broken. And so as we receive this today, say this is a defiant act of faith today that Jesus has paid the price that I can receive wholeness and healing in his name. I can see wholeness and healing in my family, in that person I'm thinking of, in my community, in our nation and in the nations. We thank you, Jesus, for your body broken for us. Thank you for the price you paid. We receive, we put our faith in you again today. We say the price you paid was enough. You've paid it all, the deal is done. We speak and we act in faith on the basis of your finished work. And so we receive with gladness and with thankful hearts. In Jesus' name. When Jesus was on the cross, his blood was poured out the cleansing and the saving of many. Just like for Rahab, her identity was redefined and the whole blemishes were erased. That's what happens when we receive. We put our faith in the blood of Jesus, the cleansing for all sin, all unrighteousness, all the things that would stand in the way of us coming before God. So even now, if there are areas in your life, areas of brokenness, Maybe outright things that you know are not God's A1 plan for your life. Maybe things in your lifestyle where actually it's been pretty hard to live a life of faithfulness and faith in the faithfulness of God and you've acted of your own accord and gone your own way. Right now, confess. So we confess to Jesus. He is faithful and just. We receive the cleansing power of His blood afresh today. Jesus, we thank you for your blood poured out and we plead the blood of Jesus right now over every situation where we need to see renewed faith rise up in our hearts. We choose today, this is a defiant act. And we say our faith is in you, Jesus. Your blood is enough. We plead your blood over our families, over our workplaces, over our communities. And we receive today in faith, Jesus. We're gonna worship him 
We're gonna sing of his goodness. We're gonna declare that the cross is enough, that his blood is still working, his blood is still speaking. He speaks a better word in a better way. So let's allow faith to arise as we worship him. Let's declare and respond in praise. Jesus is worthy of it all.